So, hey, it's good to see everybody. Man, it's been a while. Of course, I was here last week, um, but just uh, making progress each week. Thanks for your prayers. Uh, this whole knee replacement, total knee replacement surgery was more than I had anticipated, um, but our God is greater. Amen? Amen. So thanks for all your help and prayers. And hey, uh, this pastoral team, this teaching team, haven't they been awesome? Yeah. Come on, let's give them a hand. Really, really sweet. Um, the messages, of course, if I wasn't here, I was watching live stream. And thank God for the live stream. I want to welcome those of you that are watching today that can't be here. Um, it's just awesome when you can't be here. Uh, it's, not a, it's not awesome when it's an excuse. Come on. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. It's awesome when you just really can't be here. So um, I just want to say, if you weren't here last Sunday and you didn't hear Lance's message, um, you need to, just so you know. If you weren't here, just go on our website, click on sermons and click on that message. It was life-changing, um, going from, you know, Peter thought he had a boat and Jesus said, you got a platform. So don't, don't forget to watch that. I do want to remind you that the 2020 of the year, um, the word for the year is vision and clarity, okay? I think the, the, the year speaks 2020, 2020 vision, okay? And I'll talk more about that when I'm actually speaking. So um, just wanted to say uh, thank you for committing yourself to prayer and fasting. Uh, we finished up yesterday, 21 days of prayer and fasting. I want to thank the entire team for organizing that. I'd love to hear the fact that people were praying in different places in the city. That was awesome to hear. Um, thank you, Zach and Allie, for your posts um, for each, each day, his alley, yeah, he's pointing at you, um, uh, to remind us of the idea and what we were focusing on online and Facebook and so on. So thank you for that. Uh, many of you know, we, we have a set of government that includes overseers and, uh, we have our overseers, we have our trustees, um, we have a pastoral staff. Um, I get to lead this thing as the senior pastor, but I have some overseers that, Keep me in check, and if there's ever anything that goes sideways, if there was ever an accusation or, you know, anything that happened, the overseers are the guys, pastors from other churches, would come in and look into matters and decide if I need a discipline or I should be exonerated or whatever, okay? So um, we have those. We have uh, five, four of which um, I think you know. Um, and I've been having them speak during the last couple of years so that the church knows who they are. So you guys know who they are. You, they are. And so many of you, how many of you know Rick Huffman? He's been here many times, okay? Yeah. Uh, how many of you know Tom Flaherty? He's one of our overseers. Yeah. Um, and how many of you know Roger Olson? <laughs> uh, see, so, la you know, like five years ago, I decided to go local with a lot of our overseers so that these guys see me every day. And uh, we have that accountability here in the city as well with my life. Um, another, another one of our overseers is Peter Haas. Has anyone ever heard of Peter Haas? Let me see your hand. Okay. So he pastors a church called Substance Church in the Twin Cities. And it's a great church. We actually, Metro Believers Church, sponsored him and his vision and dream to actually go over to the Twin Cities and uh, plant that church. Shut up. You ever have that happen when Siri just takes over your life? You know, um, and I get irritated, and I just tell her to shut up, and my wife says, that's too harsh. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, Peter is one of our overseers, and we helped plant that church. Well, 
uh, I've been trying to get him to come and speak. And it's been so difficult with his schedule. He's been traveling all over the world. So we thought, you know what? We live in the year 2020, right? And not 2525, as the song goes. <laughs> but we have the ability to use modern technology. And so I thought it would be cool while I'm still recovering and the teaching team, you know, of course needs a break to hear from him, okay? And so we're going to watch a, a video that he did almost a year ago. So let's go ahead and show that video from Peter Haas, pastor of Substance Church. What, what is up, Metro Believers Church? Man, it is good to see you guys in Madison. And of course, if you and I haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. I pastor a church called Substance in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And of course, your pastors, Glenn and Vicki, they have been lifelong mentors to my wife and me. We used to be on staff working for Glenn and Vicki. And, and so today is extra fun because you guys are going to be tapping into one of our video feeds at Substance. And I just wanted to say this real quick, though. Uh, Pastor Glenn, we're praying for your quick recovery. We're just trusting God that the day is going to come when you are going to be doing karate kicks in the pulpit again. And maybe even someday you and Vicki can show off that acrobatic routine you used to do when we were on staff with you. And uh, no, but seriously, actually, you guys are going to be joining us for our changeable series that I actually did this time last year. And, and the whole thesis behind the series is this, is that um, God wants to change our lives. I know in January, a lot of people feel stuck. They get depressed. In fact, actually, suicide rate, it actually spikes in January because it's a transition month. People feel like, you know what? My marriage is always going to feel like this. I'm always going to struggle with this issue in my physical body. I'm never going to be able to lose weight. They get, they get hopeless. But here's the deal. None of that has to be true if we understand God's plan to radically transform our lives. And that's what this teaching series you're going to tap into today is all about. It's all about how your life is changeable. Love you guys. Can't wait to be with you in person soon. Come on. What's up, Substance? Make some noise. We want to welcome everybody joining us in downtown. And if you're a visitor, I'm Pastor Peter. And of course, we are three quarters of the way through our teaching series called Changeable. Everybody say Changeable. And speaking of changeable, how about that change in temperature this last week? What? It's now a balmy, like 70 degrees warmer than last week. We survived it. Aren't you glad things are temporary? Aren't you glad? I'm just saying, you know what? And the same thing is true with your problems. I don't know what kind of problems you came in here today with, but they are temporary. And how do I know? Because the Bible constantly talks about the temporary nature of our problems. When we've got a God who loves us and is, is putting his favor upon us, I'm telling you, I don't know what pain you're going through, but I do know that God has a plan to thwart that pain in a beautiful way. And so really just to inspire you today, I want to start by sharing a story out of Matthew chapter 20. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in to a really cool miracle story that will aim us all in the right direction. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 and forward. And it says this, Matthew 20, 29 says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Okay, now this is kind of a really awkward hike. Okay, now if, you, if you've been to Israel, you know the road from Jericho is very desert-like. And so you just imagine a whole big clump of people kind of wandering through the wilderness, all because Jesus is just going somewhere. Talk about an entourage. 
I'm just saying that would be like crazy. Everywhere you walk, it's just like thousands. You know what I'm saying? Like, and yet that was Jesus, right? And of course, in the middle of this awkward scenario, in the middle of the desert, all of a sudden we read verse 32 men, two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them, be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped, okay, as you'd imagine, right? If somebody's crying out like that, you're going to, like, what is going on? Jesus stopped and, and, and called them and, and said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, just personally, okay, when I first read this passage, I remember thinking, you know, seriously, Jesus, is that question even necessary? I mean, isn't it already obvious what they want? They want to be healed. They want to have their sight. To have this kind of disability back there in the ancient Near Eastern world would have been devastating. I mean, it was, it, this would have altered everything about their lives. I mean, clearly, God, you must know what they want. I mean, and, and, and honestly, when I read this, it was almost like weird. Like, why would Jesus asked them this question. It kind of stuck out to me because, and it's interesting because I believe that Jesus actually was forcing them to do something unique, and it's this, to verbalize their desires. Jesus wanted them to verbalize their desires, because here's the deal. Jesus knew what they wanted. He's Jesus. He knew, right? And yet, he wanted to make sure that they knew what they wanted, which how many of you know that's a relevant question because sometimes we don't ask, well, you know, when, we, when we're begging people for mercy, what we're, we're not asking for a true solution. We just want either pity or maybe sometimes we want just, you know, a handout, a little compassion. Sometimes we don't even know what we want. And so here's the deal. Jesus knew what they wanted. Um, and, and, and so really he's wanting them to verbalize it. And so in verse 33, they, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Come on. You want to talk about a crowd getting bigger? I'm just saying. And you wonder why? It's because there's power. There's power there when it comes to Jesus. Now, the reason why I shared this story is because as I was praying about today, I just really had this sense that God wanted to pose a similar question to you, and it's this. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking you that question. Some of you, you've been kind of waiting for him to ask you that question, and actually he's been asking you that question for some time. What do you want me to do for you? And I know that it sounds kind of like a basic question because some of us, we'd instantly think, well, God, th that's obvious. I want a bigger income. I want a bigger house. I want a better car. I want a better body and a better fill in the blank. You know what I'm saying? Like instantly, I think most of us are like, well, it's so obvious what I want. But if I actually told you, imagine if I was Jesus and I came to you today and I was standing here and I, I, I picked you out of the crowd, okay? Imagine if I picked you out of the crowd today and I just said, hey, I want you to take your dreams and your prayers, I want you to write them down as a formal prayer for me and what I'm, here's what I'm gonna do is right now in this moment, the moment you finish, I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna put it up on the screen, I'm gonna show everybody in this room, 
and I'm going to point you out, and then I'm going to publicly pray for that area over your life. Now, for some of you, if I did this, you'd be like, yeah, that sounds actually exciting. I could use a little extra prayer. Others of us would be like, oh my gosh, wait, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. You want me to like write it down, and then you're going to publicly share it with everybody on the screen. Yes, exactly. That's what I want to do. I'm going to force you to go public with your prayer. I'm going to force you to not only verbalize what you want, but to say it publicly. And then you're immediately thinking, well, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then everybody's going to ask me about it every single week. Did you find your spouse yet? Did you get healed? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? You know, like everybody is going to ask me about it. All of a sudden, like the, it, it raises the stakes, doesn't it? You see, um, the reason why this step would be harder for a lot of us is because, you know, even more than that, if I actually detailed my dreams and I actually had my pastor read it publicly, you know, would everybody be like, wow, you are superficial. Look at you. I need a big screen TV. I need a bigger house. So like some of us would be like, all of my dreams are quite circumstantial and superficial. Or, or maybe you'd be like, would I discover if I had to write down all of my dreams, answer that question, what, would, what do I want God to do for me? If I read what I, if I wrote it down, would I think I'm superficial? You know what I mean? Like uh, verbalizing dreams, formally writing them into a life plan changes things because it forces us to suddenly ask all these deeper questions like, what do I truly believe would make me happy? What do I truly believe? would cause me to fulfill God's plan for my life? What, what would I truly be willing to sacrifice in order for those dreams to happen? And then if we wrote them down and publicly shared them, suddenly we're accountable. That's like a big step. You see, I believe the reason why Jesus had them publicly answer that question is because ultimately at the end of the day, church, I believe it is way easier to have a heart filled, of, filled with unspoken dreams than it is to commit to a detailed life plan that we actually share with other people and pray with other people about. Totally different. It's so easy to have all these like little dreams hidden in our heart and say, yeah, someday I want to be married, someday I want this, someday I want to see that, than it is to actually share all those things with other people in a way that they can read and that they can pray over. And yet I believe that God would say to some of you, your lack of a detailed life plan, your lack of sharing that life plan with other people is the very thing holding you back from the life that God is calling you to experience. Now, if you're out there and you're like, well, gosh, I don't even know what a life plan is. Well, let me just, let me uh, spell it out for you. In some ways, a life plan is nothing more than a strategic written down plan. It's a plan where like, for example, my life plan, what I like to do is I like to write down all of my roles and my goals um, for every single year, and then I review it every three months. So for example, okay, I, I don't want to just think about my role professionally, my professional success, my role as a pastor. I want to think about, uh, yes, I am a pastor, but I'm also a father. I am also a husband. I am also a Christian. I am also, like, there's hobbies in my life. I'm also a musician. And so what I like to do is I like to think holistically about my roles in life. And then my goals. I, I, I ask God the question, what are three to five specific goals that you would have 
for each one of these roles this year, Lord, and I'll write them down. God, what do you want me to accomplish this year? In each of these areas, what are behaviors you want me to start doing? What are behaviors you want me to stop doing? And I'll write these things down and I'll detail that. And, and in some ways, that life plan becomes both a, an ongoing master planning document for myself, but it also becomes a prayer journal that I can share with other people. And then when I have answers to prayer, I can go back and I can say, prayer answered this date. You see, and actually, uh, the reason why I'm sharing this is because I've actually been doing this for decades. Every three months, I'll go back and I'll revise my life plan. I'll expand on my life plan. I'll add new insights. I'll share it with new mentors. And, and I'll go back and I'll actually ask myself the question, how am I doing? Am I actually becoming a better dad? Am I actually becoming a better pastor, a better husband, a better friend, a better Christian? All these types of things. You see... Now, here's where I'm going today, okay? The reason why I'm sharing all this is because I actually want to share with you how to write a truly transformational life plan. And there's actually a huge amount of crazy new scientific research that's coming out on goal setting that actually confirms what the scriptures have been saying all along. And I just have this sense that there's a huge number of you who the reason why you lack the motivation to accomplish a lot of your dreams is because there's just some things that are kind of out of sync with the way God designed you to go about getting his dream. And so let me give you an example. Okay, let's say for 2019, your goal is to work out more, read your Bible more, eat less food, whatever. Okay, just fill in the blank. Okay, get good grades. Okay, now so this is what we're going to do is go both this week and next week, I'm actually going to share with you six golden rules of life planning that are all scripture based, but are also uh, based on a lot of research. And if I could be honest, several of these golden rules that I'm going to be sharing with you over the next week or two is there, some of them are extremely counterintuitive. Like you would never guess these on your own. Okay. If, if, if I wouldn't have been formally taught some of these habits, I never would have done them. Um, and, and the, and a couple of them are also fairly obvious as well. But I, the reason why I'm sharing this is because some of you, listen to me, you are one tiny habit away from a complete breakthrough in your life. Your health, your parenting, your marriage, your career could very well be at a tipping point. And if you even apply three of the six golden rules of life planning, this could be your greatest year ever. And you're suddenly going to discover a supernatural motivation that you haven't had before. Have you ever noticed those people that it just feels like they, they make goals and it always feels like they're fulfilling their goals. And then, and like you and I are just sitting there thinking, my gosh, another year passes and all of a sudden we're in the same spot, okay? Have you ever felt that way, okay? Well, I'm actually going to share with you in these six, these six golden rules, you're actually going to figure out how to get traction in your life. But today, I'm going to warn you, I'm only going to have the time to go through the first two golden rules. And the first two, at first, when I share them, they're going to seem so obvious. And yet, as I unpack them, they're, they're actually going to be a little more profound. And as I share, with, share them with you, you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, maybe I haven't fully applied that yet, okay? So just stick with me. And those of you who are note takers, and I'm telling you, you should be a note taker. The first one right now, if you do have your phones, at least somebody in your family, write this down, okay? Because you're going to want to hear this. Um, the first golden rule of life planning is this. Number one, write down your, goal, your roles, your goals, your plans, and your dreams. Write them down is the key expression. Obviously, roles, goals, plans, dreams, four different components 
Write them down. It's so critical you write them down. It is similar to what God said to the prophet in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Write the vision down. Make it plain so people can run with it. There's something about a written vision and that's written in a plain way that enables people to carry out that vision so people can run with it. There's something about the application of a vision that changes when it's written down. Why? Why is writing it down so important? Because it's no different than Jesus making the two blind men from Jericho um, verbalize what they wanted. It changes things. When you verbalize things, when you write things down, um, it, it changes things. There's power there. And it, if you've never done this before, if you've never actually written down your life plan and you're like, I don't even know where to start with that, just go to, go to peterhaas.org, H-A-A-S.org, and type in the little search query, Traction and Clarity Handout. Traction and Clarity Handout. I actually ask six different questions on a regular basis that give me, I believe, a strategic advantage in life planning. And, and so uh, just just start there. Traction and Clarity, Just you can just probably just Google Peter Haas and Traction and Clarity and it'll show up. But the research shows that writing things down has a huge impact on motivation. And let me just prove this to you, okay, uh, by giving even just a medical study that I recently read that shows this, okay? So those of you who work in healthcare, you know that there are certain surgeries that have a lot more uh, strenuous recovery times, okay? Uh, for example, hip or knee replacement surgery uh, has proven to be a rather brutal recovery process for some people. And and part of it is because, you know, when you're getting a hip or a knee replacement, you know, surgeons have to cut through some of the biggest bones and the largest muscles in your entire body, you know, so it's kind of a big thing. But also the other reason why it's such a big deal is because uh, the moment a patient wakes from surgery, one of the things that you have to do uh, for recovery is you have to immediately start moving the very muscle they just surgically re-sewed. Um, and, and part of that is because the scar tissue will then clog, if you don't move it, the scar tissue will clog the joint and you'll lose flexibility and then clots can form, all these types of things. And so the very, like, let me, the nutshell is this, the very moment you don't want to move your muscle is the very moment you have to move your muscle. And it's extremely painful. It's like excruciating torture, right? And so, and they, they found a lot of doctors after they performed this surgery, they found that patients over 70 years old um, statistically tend to be the least likely um, to actually do the rehab and the physical physical exercises that they're supposed to do. And uh, they found that this was especially true of lower income pensioners uh, in England, for, uh, for example, they found are the least likely uh, once they get a hip replacement to actually do the rehab process. And that actually has devastating consequences because they found out that every single person whose hips were replaced, who is low income over 70, it would dramatically shorten their life expectancy. And so they actually discovered that the very surgery intended to give them a higher quality of life actually cut short their life expectancy because of physical therapy reasons. Getting these people to embrace the pain is a, is a complicated thing. And so a group of researchers decided, let's take on this question like, how do we motivate a bunch of crotchety, old, independent, poor people to embrace pain at the exact moment they don't want to? Okay, that wasn't the actual study question, that was a paraphrase, okay? But you get the idea, okay? Like, how do we get the people who are least likely to embrace pain to embrace pain? And it's kind of a fascinating question, and they, they came up with a very, very fascinating 
solution that almost seems too simple yet too good to be true. Listen to this. In their experiments, what they did is they did all these experiments where they had a group, uh, a control group, you know, the placebo group, and, and they would test out different techniques to try to motivate people to do these exercises. In, in the one group, they forced a group of patients to write down a detailed written plan on how they planned to cope with pain during the worst painful, most difficult moment in the rehab. In other words, when the painful physical therapy starts, what are the specific things that you are going to do to push through it? And what are you, what are you going to have your friends do to help you push through it? And they wanted you to write it down and bullet point it. And they, they had people forced with accountability to actually write this down, um, physically write it down. And of course, one person wrote down, well, um, you know, just little small stuff. Well, my wife always comes back from her one little group at this time every day to the bus stop. And so, and it's right at the end of my driveway. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and personally greet her when she gets off the bus. It's kind of a nice little motivator. I like to see my wife, and, and so that's what I'm going to do. Another person said, well, you know what? Um, everybody tells me the first step is the worst and the most painful, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take two steps before I stop and wince. No matter how painful, I'm going to take two steps. And, and they were like, okay, so write that down. And it was just like a tiny little goal of just, I'm going to take one more step before I stop, because if I stop after the first step, I'll sit right back down, and I need to get two steps away from the couch so that I don't have the, the temptation to go back and step and sit on the couch. Okay, so, um, you know, all these little things, they would write them down, and then what they did is they had another group of patients who they taught them all of the same ideas of, of how to do the rehab, but they never had them write any plans down, okay? Get this. On average, the group who wrote down their plans recovered twice as quickly compared to those who different, literally cut entire months of rehab off of the process. And even more amazingly, um, the people who wrote down their plans were, were able to pass all sorts of intense physical therapy tests three times as fast as those who did not have a plan. In other words, they found that the simple act of writing down a plan had the ability to physically, physiologically alter a person's experience by two to three times. Think about that. And, they, and this is not limited to, um, to physical bodies. This is limited. I mean, you, you could apply this to addiction recovery. You could, you could apply this to habit acquisition. You could apply this to financial goals. I mean, in study after study after study, people that write down their plans always trump those who do not write down their plans, who have a plan in their head, who have a desire in their heart, but it has never been verbalized it has never been written down. It has never been some, somehow manifested into something that is public and shareable. And I, I just, um, some of you are thinking, well, it seems like such a dumb little tiny stupid step. Why would it matter? And I don't know, but I, I have a hunch that it has something to do with faith. There is something about the spoken word and the written word that forces you to articulate faith. It has a, it's a sense of intention. God created our words and our thoughts to be powerful when we manifest them in reality. And I, I just, I, I want to I, I just incentivize you. I want to encourage you. 
take some time this week to stop and write down some of those goals and really spend time to detail it out in writing in a way that you could share it with other people. And some of you, I, I'm, I'm promising you, you will experience a higher amount of motivation and willpower than you normally would experience, okay? So that's the first golden rule of life planning, and it's this. Write down your roles, your goals, your plans, and your dreams. Okay, now, moving right along, the second goal of life planning that is important that every one of us learn has, learn, learns how to acquire is once you write down your plan, once you get a working draft, okay, step two is this. Submit your plan to the Lord through scriptures, mentoring, and prayers. Submit your plans to the Lord through three things, scriptures, mentoring, and prayer. Now, okay, I'll never forget the first time I actually wrote my first life plan. This was kind of the first time I actually sat down and just started journaling, journaling this whole bad boy out to all of my roles, all of my goals. And um, to be honest, okay, when I got to the end of my goals, uh, after writing out all my dreams and all my prayers, I, I noticed that a lot of them were both materialistic and circumstantial. You know what I'm saying? Like, God, I just want a better this and a better that. It was almost like I just, my entire list was all these just things that are just, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not bad to want things. It's not bad to, to, to want nice things. But I kind of realized, I remember, like, by the time I got to the end of the list and I started praying about it, I, I'll never forget, I just felt the Holy Spirit just kind of gently ask me this question, okay? And I want to ask you this question question as well. Peter, if I answered all of these prayers on your journal, would it change the world or would it just change you? Would it change the world or would it just change you? You see, I think that's a great mess. That's a great question to also meditate on when you're writing down your life plan or are your dreams and are your prayers the type of things where if God answered them, would it change the world or would it just change you? And don't get me wrong, God is interested in changing you, but I believe that, 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 that many of the most fulfilling things in life have nothing to do with us. You see, that's why ministry is such an, a, a critical component of our spirituality. Serving others is because it liberates us from the tyranny of our overly magnified needs. You know what I mean? Some of us are just so obsessed with me and what I need and God, I just want to feel this and I want to experience this. And I, I just, when people make all their goals of their bucket list, it's all these like self-centered experiential things, not like servanthood goals. And so um, I remember after my first life plan, after kind of reading it, realizing how superficial and, and materialistic it was, I started adding all sorts of additional servanthood oriented goals. Like God, I pray that you would enable me financially to go from giving 10% away of my yearly income to 20%. And or I, I'll never forget when I started praying, God, um, this year I want to go from 20% to giving away 30% of my income. And I, and God, I want to get to the point where, where I'm so efficient with the way that I manage my schedule that I, I literally have an extra couple hours a week to mentor people that you are putting on my heart to pour my life into. In other words, I, I want to be others-oriented. I 
want my life plan to be more than just self-centered experiential things or even just things for my family. And, and, and here's the deal. Uh, in saying this, listen, there's no perfect life plan. Someday all of us are going to look back on a finite number of prayers that we prayed. Someday we're going to stand in heaven and we're going to look at an actual number of prayers that we prayed on planet Earth. And some of us, it's going to be, I prayed 3,000 or 30,000, um, 31,168 prayers. And of those prayers, um, you know, 28,000 of them were financial prayers. And, you know, another thousand of them were to, you know, find the girlfriend. And then another 3,000 were to, you know, I, I, like, listen, at the end of your life, you, trust me, you want to be able to look back on, on your prayers and you want to say, how many times did I pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And I, I want to I tell you, I, I'm sharing that with you because I ultimately believe that the, God's plan of fulfillment is to, to get you others oriented. But listen, wherever you start, even if your life plan starts out with kind of self-centered experiential things, just start somewhere, write it down. But in the process of writing it down, start submitting it to the Lord in scriptures, mentoring, and prayer. And why, why those three things? Well, okay, every year at Substance, I like to, to talk about a, a little diagram called the triangle of discernment. And if you haven't seen this, you, I just, I want you to memorize this. This is very critical and central to the way that I discern God's will for my own life, how I discern it for my marriage, how I discern it for the church. And the triangle of discernment is basically a little diagram that maps out three different ways that God speaks to us, okay? So we're mapping out three types of wisdom in the Bible. If you want God to speak to you, if you want God to give you wisdom, there are three ways he does it, three types of wisdom. And if I could say it, three levels of wisdom that sequentially build upon each, on, on each other. Whenever I'm discerning God's will for anything, I always run it through these three filters, three levels of wisdom. And the bottom of this triangle, or a pyramid, if you will, the foundation of it all, is something called unchanging wisdom, and unchanging wisdom comes from God's word, okay? When you're asking about unchanging wisdom, you are asking the question, what would my plan be consistent with the teachings of the Bible? Would my plan be consistent with the teachings of the Bible? And so if you sense today that God is leading you in your life plan to kill your neighbor sometime this year because they're very irritating, chances are God's not going to bless that. Why? Because you should love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Yeah, but God told me in prayer to kill my boss. Okay, listen, I, that's probably not an impression from the Lord, okay? So I would scrutinize that impression using unchanging wisdom. And, and here's the deal. Generally speaking, I'm not concerned that that's what you're going to do. But you know what? I've noticed that a lot of people, they want God to bless their finances. They want God to bless their marriage. They want God to bless their parenting. And yet they refuse to really expose their souls to the teachings in the Bible on money, on sexuality, on parenting. And so as a result, there's just a lot of wisdom that people miss. And sometimes it's not because we're unteachable. It's simply because we just don't know it. We just haven't learned it enough. We don't have any daily disciplines of exposing ourselves to God 
God's word. But uh, let's just say you're asking a different question. Rather than should I kill my neighbor, you're asking the question that's a, that already passes the scriptural um, level of unchanging wisdom. You're asking like this question, should I change jobs? Now, obviously, if you uh, are a hitman, then uh, you probably, you will, the Bible will speak to you and you'll say, okay. Uh, but let's say you change jobs and you decide to get a job that isn't, that isn't biblically immoral. And now you're, you've been doing that for a year or two and you're like, yeah, but is it time to change to this job, okay? And, and you read the Bible and there's nothing morally right or wrong about either job. And so in this situation, you're asking the next level of wisdom in the triangle of discernment and it's called situational wisdom. What is most appropriate for my life right now? In other words, what do my spiritual friends and mentors think I should do in this particular moment? What do my spiritual friends and mentors think I should do? And you're not just asking that one mentor. A lot of people, they come to me and they claim they, they want mentoring or they claim they want wisdom when in reality, they don't want wisdom. They just want confirmation for the thing they already decided to do, okay? When you seek a mentor's advice, don't seek confirmation, seek impartation. It's different. It means that you have people in your life that can completely contradict what you already think, okay? And, and so when you're discerning God's will, don't make up your mind until you've really, really gone through the process of painfully listening to humbling opinions that are different than your own from people who are already successful, okay? That's called situational wisdom. That's the next level of scrutiny. That's the next level of discernment. And of course, at the very tippy top of the pyramid, we have something called supernatural wisdom. So let's say you're choosing between two colleges and your mentors think both colleges are great ideas. You, there's great churches in both of those cities and you could easily imagine yourself sinking into that church community and that college and both mentors, all of your mentors think, yeah, you could go either way. And so really what you're saying is this, is God, between these two good ideas, what's the God idea? Between two good ideas, what's the God idea? And you're, what you're doing is, is you're seeking out supernatural wisdom. You're seeking out prophetic insights. God, speak to me prophetically in prayer. Lead me in, with a sense of peace. And so if I could kind of boil all three types of wisdom down in a nutshell, the first type of wisdom, the bottom of the triangle, this type of wisdom comes by being connected with God's word. The second type of wisdom comes from being connected with God's church. And the third type of wisdom comes from being connected with God's spirit. And how many of you know we need all three, right? We don't just need a connection with God's word or a connection with God's church. We need God's spirit as well. And I, I've actually found that over the years, a lot of people have a tendency to only lean on one type of wisdom to the exclusion of the others. You know what I'm saying? Like there's like we all know these people that are like super spooky. All they do is led forth prophetically and God tells them to do the dumbest things. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, like you tell them the most basic things. Change your underwear. Well, God hasn't spoken to me to do that. God doesn't need to speak to you about that, okay? That's like, that's like basic stuff, okay? If you had a parent or a mentor, they would tell you situational wisdom, change your underwear regularly, okay? 
like you have to understand there's some people that are so overly spooky that if it's not mystical they're just not going to do it okay then there's other people on the other side of the continuum you're so rational and you're like i'm not going to do mystical things what do you mean like wait on god what am i am i waiting for like a feeling you know what i'm saying like is it, like what's the feeling like the heebie-jeebies what do you, how would you describe it do i have to have goosebumps like some of you you're so rational that you will not approach a mystical experience for anything and yet you're cutting yourself off from one of the types of wisdom that God has for you. Listen to me. You need a relationship with his word, his church, and his spirit. And that requires you to have different experiences. Some of us, we just, we just don't like to have any opinions from anybody. So we just don't seek, seek up. We're introverted and we use that as an excuse to not share our opinions. And maybe somebody wounded you in the past. And so you just kind of make all of your decisions in isolation. Listen, God has better for you. You need all three types. And if you're not submitting your discernment process, your life plan to all three of these levels of wisdom, then you're going to miss out on get, truly getting God's will. Let me give you an example. Okay, now I'm kind of a rational guy. I'm not the, the most likely to uh, go have a mystical experience, and yet I do believe in the prophetic. I believe that God offers prophetic experiences. I believe that God still speaks to me in prayer, and so this has been something that I've had to learn, and the more Bible I memorize, the easier it is for me to know the prophetic because I can judge the prophetic according to Scripture. So I'm not so worried, like, you know, hi, pa Pastor Peter, how do you know if it's just a thought in your head versus, you know, the Lord? Well, I don't. That's why you judge prophecy, the Bible says, according to Scripture, and that's why you have mentors to submit prophetic words to, okay? So we're not, we're not using the prophetic as a substitute for the other two types of wisdom. It's a complement to it, okay? So um, let me give you an example of how I discern God's will in my life plan, okay? So in my recent life plan, many of you guys know a couple years ago I was diagnosed with um, moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis, which is kind of a, um, it's an autoimmune disease that just causes, it's like, it's like have, have you ever like worked out, did like a full body workout, and then the next day every part of your body is in pain, and like you have muscles that you didn't know existed, and every time you move it's like, oh, okay. So it's kind of like that. Um, and of course, you know, when I first got diagnosed, I, it was, I was in pretty sorry shape. I could barely even hold a glass of water. It was like my, my muscles were so weak I would like drop things, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even put on a jacket by myself. It was so painful for me to even lift my shoulder. And, um, and, and so I finally got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And of course, you know, the doctors explained to me what was going on. And I did a lot of research on it. And of course, as I was doing all the research on it, I, I realized, you know what? The doctors really don't even know what, what causes it, nor do they know how to stop it. But they surely have a lot of toxic chemicals that are happy to prescribe to me um, that give me a 30% chance of not experiencing symptoms. And I remember going through all this, prod, you know, like here, I'm getting all these prescriptions that say the side effects are like could cause death, you know, like a million times over. And I'm like, how is death better than, you know, like, okay, you know, like all these side effects. I'm reading through some chronic diarrhea. Trust me, I'd rather have pain, okay? So, I, you know, like, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm reading through these things and I'm thinking, this is not a solution. And then, like, you actually go into the actual data and, like, half these medications, they only give you, like, a four. 40% chance of reducing symptoms. And I would go back and I, to my doctors and be like, please, like, you got, like, this is the best you got. And they're like, I'm sorry, you know, like, you can do more research. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things you can do, but we don't know fully, like, changing your diet. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, changing your diet.
yet. Come on. I don't want to do that until it's really painful. <sighs> okay, well, that was 2017. Uh, you know, by 2018, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll eat a little more lettuce. You know what I'm saying? Like, slowly but surely, you start to, you know, pain forces you to consider options you didn't want to consider before. And so in my, in my next year's life plan, I was like, God, really speak to me. I mean, speak to me about this. What are some things I can do to proactively research this? Lord, like, as strange as it sounds, help me figure this out. Give me supernatural stuff. Give me supernatural wisdom. I'm even open to diet changes. God, I'm open to weird supplements. I'm open to probiotics. Speak to me. If it's, if it's literally taking more alfalfa sprouts and drowning it in fish guts and eating it, I'll just, just make it clear, God. Please just make it clear, right? I was just, and so I put that into my life plan. God, start speaking to me and give me goals of new things that I can try. And so let me give you an example of this. Okay, so I, I, even just this last week, I was expanding on my life plan. I was sharing all the new revelations of things that God has been speaking to me about probiotics, about diet, and all these different things that I've been changing in my life that have been supernaturally helping. I, I can't even tell you how many articles I found on the connection between fasting and my disease, that, how much fasting helps it. And, and um, I, literally, okay, so I, I, I've been praying this prayer, God, supernatural wisdom, give it to, just give me wisdom. You said you give wisdom generously to all without finding fault, James 1.5. And so in the middle of the night, okay, this is just last week. I'm just giving you a fresh example of how I do this, okay? In the middle of the night, I woke up, and it was one of those moments. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night, and you desperately needed to go to the bathroom, but you're so tired that you don't want to get up, and so you're stuck in this like, ah, I don't want to stop sleeping, yet I have to go, and then so finally, you know, I got so sick of the torture, and yet I'm kind of half dreaming, and yet I don't want to stop dreaming, and so I'm kind of in that state, and so I get up, and you know, this is me, I'm just no glasses, I'm fumbling around in the dark, and, and all of a sudden, I just, like, the word came flying out of my mouth, and I know this is really weird, but just stick with me, the word spontaneously flew out of my mouth, phenylalanine HH. And, you know, have you ever, like, caught yourself sleep-talking, and then you thought to yourself, did my wife hear that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you just, like, you said you're having a conversation, and yet you're, like, with somebody in your dream, and then you realize you're dreaming, and then you're, you're like, so I said that, and I'm like, I looked at my wife, and she's just, you know, sleeping away, and I'm like, good, she didn't hear that. And so I go into the bathroom, and all of a sudden, like, I just, I said it again, phenylalanine, HH, and, and I'm like, you know, it was like, why did I just say that again? Like, am I half dreaming? And, and you know, and then I, I started washing my hands, and then all of a sudden I said it again, phenylalanine, HH. And I'm like, why in the world am I saying this? It's the weirdest thing ever. I don't even know what it means. And, and I just, it was like out of nowhere, I felt the Holy Spirit say, Peter, I am trying to speak to you about your body. Write this down now. I, and I, so I literally, I'm fumbling back to my bed, looking for my phone, and I'm grabbing my phone, and you know, of course, I'm, I'm just like totally like out of it, and I'm looking for my note app, and I'm thinking, how do I spell phenylalanine? You know, like, is it like fennel seed? Is it with an F or is it with a PH? And I'm just like, I'm writing it down, and keep in mind, I have no idea what it is or why I'm saying it, and, and, and so finally, I wrote it down, 
and I fumbled back to bed, fell asleep, and woke up, forgot about it, okay? So, you know, fast forward, okay? I wake up next day, didn't remember any of it, um, was just going about my day. That evening, I had to, like, take something and write it down a note in my note app, and I opened up my note app, and all of a sudden, I saw it. Oh, my gosh, that was the weird thing in the middle of the night. I, and I'm like, I still don't know what it is, and so I thought, well, heck, let's just Google it, all right? So literally, I, I happened to just start looking it up online, even though I had no idea what it was, and get this. It turns out it's an amino acid supplement that has a huge possibility of reducing rheumatoid arthritis inflammation, right? And so I'm reading about it, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is the weirdest thing. And so I kept reading, and then, and then all of a sudden I found out it's also an amino acid that has been linked to all these other issues, and it started listing all of these things that I'm dealing with. Like weird, random things that have nothing to do with rheumatoid arthritis. For years I've been losing pigmentation in my skin. It's called vitiligo, and of course it was, it was connected. The same singular, singular amino acid is, right, is connected to that. And all of a sudden I started looking it through, and it was like all these things that were like speaking to my life and I kept thinking, what in the world are the odds? And maybe you're like, oh, okay, Pastor Peter, I don't know. Maybe you just read it in some article and it was in your subconscious and your subconscious brought it to you in the middle of the night. That's a bunch of baloney people, okay? How many times do you wake up in the middle of the night quoting profound amino acids? I, I, but never, never. I, but I can think of a million dumb dreams, like the one where I woke up naked swimming in a pool of marshmallows, okay? So how many of you know there is a huge difference between dumb dreams and God dreams? Okay, so if you're out there thinking, so Pastor Peter, are you going to start popping phenylalanine supplements because of a dream? No. I'm going to talk to my doctor. I am going to get two other types of wisdom as well so that I'm not making another mistake. So remember, the prophetic is not a substitute for the other types of wisdom, but I do believe that when you start experiencing the power of prophetic truth, God's going to speak to you about all sorts of stuff. And church, really, that's my whole point. God wants to speak to you about your life and about your plans. He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know, Jeremiah 33, 3. Come on, somebody. We, we, listen, when we get stumped, God gets pumped. He's like up in heaven like, oh man, you have no idea what I got for you. Some of you, you're just like one revelation away from a breakthrough. You're like one french fry short of a happy meal. You are like one taco short of a fiesta platter. And God is like, come on, I got this. Just seek me, seek me. I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me, Hebrews 11:6. But you just haven't done it. And yet, still, so for many of us, the problem is not getting a life plan. Rather, it's getting God's life plan. And how do we get it? Proverbs 16, 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Commit to the Lord. What does that mean? That, that promise is predicated upon two things, getting a plan and then committing that plan to the Lord, right? And what does commit mean? The Hebrew word translated commit means to roll yourself into. In fact, the word actually is used often to translate to roll something big, like a giant boulder, okay? So it's like to put all of your strength, to put all of your weight into something. And for some of you, that's the very thing God is calling you to do. He's calling you to commit. And listen, you 
You can't submit your plans until you submit yourself. And some of you, you don't have the very foundation you need, which is Christ who died for the forgiveness of your sins. Some of you, you've been trying to do all the self-help stuff. You've been trying to just do life planning with life coaches and counseling and things like that. And yet you still don't have the traction. And listen, those things do help. Those things do matter. But listen, at the end of the day, there is no substitute for Holy Spirit power. And, and he wants to bring that into your life on a regular basis. But it's got to start by building our lives upon the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, or you have, but you know you've kind of shrink, you've shrunk back from that and you've lost your faith, I'm just going to end in prayer. And the moment I start praying, if that's you, take out your phone, text the word substance to 31996. It's just an act of faith. And I believe God is going to do something fresh in your life. Would you believe him? Would you receive that today? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you that um, you have not left us to figure this out on, a, on our own, but you've given us the power of your Holy Spirit to be our counselor throughout life. And so as our church begins doing these life plans, and as we start this topic of talking about these six golden rules, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us about every area of our lives, and you know what we need this year. I just pray that wherever we're at, we would have a divine traction that would bring glory to you. And church, if that's your prayer, say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Renew me for your purpose, starting now. In Jesus' name we pray. If you believe that prayer, say amen. 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 With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're going to go next. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Amen. Wow, good word, huh? So Peter is the research king, as you probably picked up, and uh, the depth um, of what he shares is just profound, just so you know. Um, he was Vicky and I's son in the Lord, him and Carolyn, um, got saved in our church in Marshfield, and God's using him mightily. And I, I, I felt as I was thinking about showing this video that there was, there was something in this that was going to add value to your lives. How many of you feel like you've had value added? Amen. So uh, originally I was just going to do this week and we'd move on, but how many of you want to hear the rest of it? <laughs> All right. So, so next week we'll, fi we'll finish up the video um, and hear that. I just love the technology that we can do stuff like this, right? And we can gather information and receive ministry and teaching um, from other people that, you know, may not be in this area. Okay. Let's stand to our feet, and uh, we just want to, the whole idea behind texting that number was just sort of an act of faith of you saying, I am surrendering my Lord. The Bible says if you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord, you'll be saved, right? Okay, so that's the act of faith of saying, you know what, I'm confessing Jesus is my Lord, I'm receiving him. And so if, if you did that today, you may not be texting it, but somehow share your faith, share the fact that you've surrendered your life to the Lord and Jesus is, is now your Lord, okay? So let's just take a few minutes and worship him. Some of the stuff that, that was shared that just sort of touched you by the Holy Spirit, um, now's the time to say, God, I want, I want to do something with that. I want you, Holy Spirit, to, to move that forward, move that down the field. I don't want to just hear it 
and not do anything with it. I want to hear it and act on what I've heard and do something with it. So let's just take a few minutes. Dan and the team's going to lead us in worship and just spend some time with him, working that through with him, talking to him about that, surrendering yourself to his ideas. In Jesus' name.